on the property experience, our hosts Zarko Jokic and Anna Porter will take you behind the curtain of the property market Australia-wide. Welcome back to the property experience. Today we have with us Gareth Woodham, who is a qualified property valuer and also um, one of our affiliate directors um, in the property investment sector at Suburbanite. Welcome, Gareth. Thank you, Anna. Great to have you. Now, being a qualified valuer, um, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions around that, but I do want to get a bit of an idea about your background. So where did you start in your career and what led you into the property investment side of things? Uh, back when I graduated from university in last century, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I got offered a job in a suburban real, uh, valuation office and uh, I was valuing residential property all over Western Sydney and up the Blue Mountains um, that developed into different property types and better locations. Uh, I worked for a few years in Melbourne. I, I took a job in Melbourne and uh, worked with a, a boutique valuation firm down there. They decided to become a little less boutique and a little more national. So they sent me to Sydney to open the Sydney office. Uh, I established that uh, and over the next few years built that and built the team there. Uh, and then I went out on my own as uh, an independent valuer and I have been practicing as a valuer now for over 22 years. Right. So you've seen a lot, I would imagine, when it comes to the property sector. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, you never want to say that you've seen everything um, because that just puts you in a situation where you're going to see something even more bizarre. But uh I've got, I do have some, yeah, I've got some stories to tell and stories not to tell as well. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a few of those ones. Um, <laughs> we might say that for over drinks on a Friday night. So today we're going to talk about investing outside of your own backyard. And there's some pros and cons to this. And I think people tend to go buy the property down the road because they know it and they're comfortable with it. And they feel like that's going to be the right answer um, and not, you know, they won't make a big mistake because there's some familiarity there. But I'd imagine um, with your experience across valuation and the investment side of things, you've seen people investing in all different parts of the country, in all different types of assets, at all different price points, and you've seen this go well. And I'm sure you've also seen people do silly things over the years. Um, what are some of the benefits of investing outside of your own backyard? What, why should people consider doing it? Well, um, the, probably the, the biggest one is you're opening yourself up to a much bigger market. So there's plenty more opportunities. Uh, once, you, once you expand your, your search to, to a national search, um, you've got all different property markets, property types, uh, different uh, price levels, different uh, um, rental profiles and, and vacancy factors and things. And you also capture uh, different uh, property cycles. Uh, we're all familiar that property moves in cycles. Where I'm, I'm based in Sydney and I've, I've had most of my valuation career in Sydney, um, but I've, I've valued property around the country and I've purchased property around the country. Um, the, the, the property markets move in cycles and in my career, we've had five, at least five periods where the property market has gone negative. So prices have declined in Sydney and at, at the moment, the, the, um, where, where we're at at the moment, the, the property market has had a, a, a record growth. Uh, I think I read something about the fastest rate of growth in 32 years, um, which uh, 
sounds like it's the, the market that never sleeps. But even in a, in a market as bullish as, as Sydney, in my career, there's been five downturns and, and the, the cycles move at different rates and um, have you know, different extremes to them. Uh, Perth has just come out of a 10-year decline, um, which was preceded by a higher median house price than that in Sydney. So there was a time in the not too distant past where the median house price in Perth was higher than the median house price in Sydney. And now the median house price in Sydney is in excess of double the median house price in Perth. People very quickly forget that the Sydney market and all markets can actually go backwards. You know, I've got examples of people I know and properties I know that were purchased in Sydney in 2017 and then sold 18 months, two years later, for 20% less. And people took mm -hmm. a real cash decline on those on those values for a period yep oh yeah I've, I've seen it and i'm not exaggerating hundreds and hundreds of times um in in, in sydney and, and in other markets and yeah. um it, it, it's a function of the timing your, your purchase and your sale which which may or may not be in your control um a sale that's not in your control is never well, very rarely a good sale um but it's also the property type, um, any compromises with that property. Um, that can and, also yeah. be a, a lifestyle thing, a life, you know, a timing in life. So, you know, you yeah, might yeah, need absolutely. to sell because your parent might need to go into some sort of aged care and you can't afford it. So you have to cash out some money or you might need to buy something where they can live with you. You might need that extra bedroom for mum or dad that needs help or the kids get accepted into a great school, but it's over the other side of the city and that's a priority for you or divorce happens or that extra baby comes along that you were never, those lockdown babies, there's lots of them coming that you weren't expecting. You need that, that extra space. So all these things happen where you may, you know, it's probably easy. Some people listening might say, well, why would you sell when you're going to take a loss? Well, you might have to, life happens. Yeah. If it's your own home, yeah, it's your own you, investment. You're not always the master of your circumstances. You, you, you have to take responsibility for them, but you, you may not be in control of them all the time. So that, that is that definitely- the hard way, haven't you, Gareth? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you can't um, you can't always predict what's going to happen in the future to yourself or or to um, to things that are external to yourself. And so yeah, that that's that that's when you can become a victim of of a, a, you know, a negative period in a in a property cycle. Properties transact all the way all the way through ups and downs. Um, at the moment, we've got very very high price growth in Sydney, but the the volume of tra transactions is not as high as it has been in the past. And there'll be other, other times when you've got really high transaction levels, but more modest price growth. Um, uh, but investing as well, like just to bounce back to that concept of buying and selling at the right or the wrong time, when it's an investment property, in an ideal world, if you're getting that, that timing in the cycle right, you should be buying right in that early stage of a growth cycle or within that growth cycle. Mm -hmm. So that should be able to absorb any of those lifestyle changes pretty quickly. If you're getting growth in the asset in the first two to three years of owning it, you're reducing your chances of spending five years holding an asset that's not growing and then you sell it for a loss. So the timing is actually really important, isn't it? Absolutely. Think. Yep. Yep. And so and getting getting into that that growth phase of the cycle uh, and and coming back to your, your first point, that's why you, you look further afield than, the, than the, the suburb that you live in, because the suburb that you're in at the moment and the area that you're in maybe uh, may have recently had some very strong growth and then other areas that then begin to catch up. And so it may not be prudent to dive in at the top of the market in the area that you're familiar with. And it might be wiser to 
look a little further afield. And look, you know, there's a real risk of some some bounce back potentially in Sydney or Melbourne at the moment because of the aggressive growth we've had. And we probably won't be here to debate that too much today because that's just running rampant in the media and everyone's got mm. an opinion on that. But even if the market you're in does grow more, you're not going to miss out on it because you've got your own home in that market. So you're still in that growth market. You'll just be doubling down with other opportunities potentially. Um, yeah. What does it do for diversification? So in terms of tax implications or the rental market, like where's the, why we talk all the time. People say you need to diversify. Well, why, what does that actually mean? Uh, with regard to property investment. Um, and the first thing that you mentioned was tax implications. Um, full disclosure, I'm not a tax advisor or financial planner, but I am aware of state stamp duties and they are uh, a state-based levy that's um, imposed at the transaction of a property uh, up in the location where that property is. Uh, and one of the features of state-based stamp duty levies is that they tend to have a... a, a um, uh, they'll have their own rates based on their own, um, uh, you know, fiscal circumstances in that in that jurisdiction. So if you look around the country, there are each state has their own scale of stamp duty rates, and there may be exemptions for first home buyers, or there may be additional levies for for investors uh, that, that all need to be investigated fully because they they all run their own race. And they're things that need to be considered uh, on an individual basis for each of those different jurisdictions. Yep, yep. No, that and also just things like if you've got multiple properties that are investments, you'll be subject to land tax, and that's state by state. Absolutely. So, so that's that's another that's another state levy that the land tax is uh, calculated at. It's a happy New Year. It's calculated on New Year's Eve. The property <laughs> that you're holding um, in in whatever jurisdiction. And one of the interesting factors of that is that all states tend to have a threshold where land tax starts. And, and that threshold is different in different jurisdictions. Um, but by virtue of the fact that it's a state-based tax, if you have a property portfolio in one state and you're approaching the land tax threshold in that state, if you buy property in another state, you uh, only you know, the, the land tax threshold that you've, you've met in, that, in the first state doesn't apply. It's a, a state-based tax. So you can effectively mitigate your land tax obligations by diversifying your portfolio just in different jurisdictions within Australia. Yeah, I've seen some people that have higher value portfolios but spread across the country and don't pay land tax as compared to some people who have half the value in their portfolio but all in one location and are paying a lot of land tax. So there's a real... Um, there's a really good strategy to to getting that right, isn't there? It can be some significant. Yeah, and, that, and that's just on, on, an, on, an, on an administrative <laughs> function of of land tax. Um, there's the 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 simpler argument for diversification is to to spread your risk. Yeah. Um, as we've already discussed, there's there's property cycles that are moving at different rates and have different extremes uh, throughout the country. And um, if you want to capture capital growth in one market at, at one time uh, and you want to repeat that, it may not be available to you uh, at a later date. So you would look in a different jurisdiction where they've, they may have uh, you know, different infrastructure spending going on at the moment. They have, may have uh, different employment or, or population growth uh, that would drive a stronger property market in, in or, or just different sentiment. People, people might be getting on a bandwagon to invest in, in 
southeast Queensland and um, all be piling into that market and drive it up. But that, that might peter out after a year or two. Um, and then they might look to uh, Tasmania and say, oh, that, that's the, the, next, the next big thing. And they all pile in there. But if you're, if you're piling in late, um, you're, you're, you're capturing the end of that, the, the crest, crest of that wave. And then it, it will flatten out for a while. And, and it might be, you might be suffering a, a low growth, um, you know, coupled with um, pretty meager uh, rental returns because you've got, you're have at the, at the tail end of a ton of investors that have all scrambling for a limited pool of, of tenants. And vacancy so that, comes into markets at different times as well, doesn't it? Yep. You're going to have different experiences uh, there too. Yeah, I, I, and I do find um, vacancy, rental vacancy can be a good leading indicator of what's going to happen to property price growth. Um, as um, uh, and it's never the case of all things being equal, but when you're, when you're looking at if a market has been driven by investors moving into that market, they do scoop up all of the available tenants. And then um, you, you'll start to see uh, uh, vacancy rates increasing, vacancy periods extending out, uh, rent, rental growth flattening or, or going negative um, just to, as, as landlords you know, concede uh, some, some rent to keep a tenant. Mm. And um, that will in, invariably lead to uh, less appetite for further investors to be in that market. If they can see these things, they see that it's taking four or five weeks to rent out a property and the, the rental yields don't seem to be supporting uh, a reasonable return and they're more negatively geared than they're happy to. They'll look in, in different markets as well. So I do find that, that uh, increased rental vacancies and, and decreased rental returns are a good leading indicator to um, uh, a decline in property price growth, not necessarily a decline in values, but just in, in, in price growth, that, that growth may flatten out. Mm, that's a really good one because a lot of people really struggle to know when to pick the peak of the market. And as you say, they pile in, so many people pile in too late or too early yep. and they yep. just don't understand what some of those indicators can be. What other indicators do you look for when you're looking at selecting markets and timing? What are some of the important things to, to consider? Um, well, when you're selecting markets, you want to you want to look at uh, great employment opportunities, like long-term stable employment opportunities. You're not looking at, at things like they're they're just going to build um, some you know, product, uh, whether it be a, 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 a jail or a, or a, yeah, yeah, or, or like a, a transport interchange might be good because that that does fuel a lot of commercial activity in and around, but you want if, if it's going to be infrastructure, you, you want things that are like mass transit type things, whether they be metros or light rails or, or rail lines. Um, they're long-term infrastructure that, that have got a lot of scalability about them. Uh, you build a road, it tends to fill up on day one and that's it. And it's only just moving cars from, from A to B and tends to um, bypass a, a lot of things. It doesn't really have the same value growth on particularly if, if we're talking specifically about residential property it doesn't really do much for residential property prices you're much better to invest in the transurban uh, if you're the maybe on the wrong side of that road like sometimes it can split a suburb in two and if you've invested on the you know the bad side of town versus the good side or the non-beach side or the side where the kids have to now cross a major freeway to get to school or get to the shops can actually sometimes create a value differential between the two sides and if you haven't understood yeah. the dynamics of that you could actually get that wrong yeah and and they they never um end up exactly the way that they were 
scoped out at, at the beginning and and it's you know there's a lot of politics that goes into building a, a product like that so there's there's huge um stories to be told at the start about you know, you know tra traffic projections that they're going to take all these cars off off local roads and re uh, replace put the put the traffic underground or they're going to have you know, so many acres of open parkland and cycleways and things and all these things change along the way and budgets move in and out and uh, it, it is a very um it's a very sort of fraught process banking on those type of infrastructure projects to to give a, a you know a good sustained boost to to a to a market where i'd much rather see things like you know new entertainment and shopping precincts being installed uh or um you know high value um uh infrastructure like like hospitals or universities and things that, that bring good long-term well-paid jobs into an area that, that that'll have a, a bit more appeal than the, the local neighborhood these are these you know could potentially bring in you know, a lot of international interest into an area and especially if you've got you know top tier educational institutions there'll be a lot of industry that'll, that'll come off the side of that and that will that will drive you know 50 100 year infrastructure or, or more, more than infrastructure like real commercial decisions will, will, will flow around that so they're the sort of things that I, I do like to see for for, for infrastructure that, that really drives drives a market that you can be confident even through cycles and ups and downs you're going to see a general positive trajectory in that market that will be you know better than better than average better than better than the median over the whole market over the whole city for example or the whole state yeah yeah and you know it's interesting that we often get asked about you know projects that are being thrown up in the political conversations you know someone's going for an election or someone's trying to win a new political seat or campaign they're talking about all this infrastructure they're going to be doing um, often that doesn't even come to fruition and often it's just a conversation at that point so you know it's about understanding where in that actual life cycle it's at. are they going yeah. to tender on it are they actually putting budgets to it are they actually employing companies to do it um, and that's part of what you know, people like you and I have always looked for, it's going on and looking at where the tender documents are at, who's going to tender for it, what size company is coming, what size project is it, are they actually going to put money to it or is this just a conversation that someone's having to win a, you know, local seat of some sort? Yep, so we, we can talk about, you know, the, the topical one right now is the submarine project that was canned and then reinstated in the space of a few minutes. Um, it's, it's extended out the timeline, but there's potentially $2 billion of sunk cost. There's uh, arguments from the left and the right about what was right and what was wrong about it. Um, but it is, um, and, and whether we, we need that type of submarine or a conventional type of submarine, they are decisions that are, that, are, that, are, that are brought by, or announcements that are brought by politicians, contracts that are signed by politicians are not really worth a lot until it's finished. Till there's someone um, leaning on a shovel on the side of the road not uh, doing their job no, for five like, hours. <laughs> I'm I'm more focused on when they're cutting the ribbon when it's actually built and and well, that's when the long-term jobs come in, isn't it? It's yeah, not just the construction because that's boost. that's that's when you know. Like we saw the 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 Roselle uh, light rail that that you know they they purchased all the properties and then that evaporated. Um, we saw. Um, uh, we saw businesses being shut down for years as well. There's actually a a yeah, real look at, negative look at West, before at the, the leagues club. Yep, um, and so it's a and, and they're 
they were you know, fully scoped out and tended and they were acquiring properties all along the way. Um, but it, it, until, it's, until they're cutting the ribbon on the finished product, I've, I don't put a lot of stock in those sort of things. Um, I'm more focused on, um, I, I see more in, in more commercial type projects. Um, when you look at places like, you know, an example would be Barangaroo in, in Sydney, where they've, they've put in their own you know, commercial interests to put in their own dollars and they've finished, they've finished the job. They, they finished it so well, they've got a casino that's not even a casino yet, but they've still built it. Like, mm. they, that's how committed they are. So that's, that's about putting a, a project together and getting it delivered. And they're the sort of things that I like to see. Because if you look at the uh, COVID aside, if you look at the commercial activity around Barangaroo now, and yet it's unrecognisable to what it was five years ago or 10 years ago when it was just, just a flat concrete wharf and every now and then they bring a, a, a passenger ship in there when the, when the main terminal was full. And now it's a, 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 a thriving second CBD uh, on the west of the city and it's you know, premium office space and, and premium um, uh, retail and, uh, and, and it's just a, a really spectacular transformation. Um, and that's... That's a really interesting point. Government versus private infrastructure. So we hear about all the government stuff because some politician wants to get a big high five, let's be honest. But the private infrastructure, you know, the Westfields of the world, the, the pub groups, the Laundies of the world, the McDonald's of the world, they're not announcing from the treetops when they secure a site and they're going for a DA because they don't want no. the world to be up and down and jumping all over it or in any way, good, bad or indifferent. They like to quietly, quietly get to where they need to get to. Then when the ribbon's being cut, that's when they announce it. So is there weight in that? Is there weight in, as an investment advisor, and I'm probably going to take a little bit of a dig at some of the generalists out there that go, follow every piece of infrastructure. No. The advisors out there that really track what's happening in the private sector as well by knowing the right people, following where they're going, looking at what they're buying and actually having, you know, work or advisory or, or, or um, conversations in those sectors with other valuation firms, other advisory firms, with other property people that are playing at that bigger level you know the guys that know where Westfields are going the guys that know what Maccas are doing you know and even though they can't see anything they can't tell you but knowing where to find that information checking DA registers checking acquisition schedules knowing what's happening at council level through you know when you're talking to that end of town and you know what's happening in that sector does that help you make help investors make better decisions is that an important piece of the puzzle as opposed to just listening to some of the political facts absolutely because when when a when a pub baron or a uh, retail giant makes a decision to invest, yes, they they don't do it to pat themselves on the back. They do it for you know, uh, commercial reasons. And secondly, they've made their best guess based on all the research that they can put together. And they they this is their money or their investors' money. They're they're making a a, a very, very well-educated guess. They don't do it on a whim. They don't do it on um, ideology. Um, and they're, they're not doing it to win any friends. They're doing it to, to, to make money. And, and so they've, they've, they're spending money to make money and they want to make sure they're spending every dollar correctly. And they've, they've researched it to the hilt. But also, it's not just the big guys that, that, do the, that, that are worth talking to in that, that area. When you around the country, when you talk to real estate agents at the local local level, they you know, of course they they're always going to put a very positive spin on their own neighbourhood and their own stock of property that they're selling. But it's very easy to ascertain what the market's doing 
in that in, in, in every different location where you talk to these people these are people that are at the, at the absolute cold face of, of property they can they can talk um, uh, you know, off the it, it is off the record. It's 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 a conversation between two people, and they can they can give you some really great insight into what's happening and, and what's driving that market today. And they might be they they will be you know, they might be talking completely honestly about something that is driving that market. But if you've got the benefit of something else of, of some other information that understands that the thing that is driving that market is or is not sustainable, then you can make a far more informed decision. So it's. It is equally important to understand what what um, big players are doing in terms of how they make their decisions and, and all the, the the masses of research that goes into that. But then it's great to be able to overlay that with with you know face to face conversations with the people on the ground and get their take on on what's happening in their little micro market there, so that you can play those things together and and have some really good intelligence that allows you to make investment decisions um you know using both your macro and micro analysis so what do you think about when people get excited i see it on facebook all the time about there's this big windmill project coming to either a regional center or tasmania um, and they're going to build windmills or they've got windmills and they're going to add a couple more does that stuff get you excited or does that stuff just make you laugh uh, unless you've got some some real inside knowledge on on those sort of things and you've got uh the capacity to lease out your little investment property to the chief engineer of that project for the next five years at three times the market rate i don't really see the point of chasing specific infrastructure and particularly one-off infrastructure projects as I said at the start, they you don't need a lot of staff at... to make the windmill turn, do no, they? For no, and, and, and for whatever for whatever it is, like uh, um, the, these, you know, you want to you want to find a lot of you know, option B, option C, option D when you're looking at what's driving that market wherever you're investing. You don't, you really don't want to be chasing one. Like the the classic is when you know, and it's a, it's cliched now, but when you when you look at investing in mining towns. Um, people would, would look. Uh, I remember going to, to um, presentations where where people were uh, saying how wonderful it was. You can buy this house for you know, nine hundred thousand dollars. Mind you, a house in Sydney was only worth seven hundred thousand dollars at the time. But that explained that this is expensive because it's remote and it's got to be cyclone proof and so forth. But they're getting uh, fifteen hundred bucks a week rent, so you'd be mad not to. Let's buy two or three. But that they're they're only very short term assets and and a. Uh, in, in in that example, the the mine operator is only going to pay, um, you know, that uh, well over market rent for a very finite period of time while they need to develop that mine. Once it's fully run and automated, when it's fully developed and automated, they don't need all those people, you know, all that that staff there, you know, building it. And so the, you're left with an absolutely stranded asset. If it was, you know, these, uh, the Rio Tinto is a, a big company. They know what they're doing. If they if they could see the value in building uh, an asset that's going to last for a hundred years, like a house is, um, because they're going to need it for a hundred years. Well, then they would build it themselves, uh, and they mm. wouldn't be paying three grand a week to 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 rent it off someone else. But if people are dumb enough to uh, invest in those, then they they're going to find out in in three to five years time when they're, when they're not needed. There's absolutely no one that wants to live in the middle of nowhere next to an open cut mine. No, my husband used to work in one, and I went out and visited 
see what it's all about. And it's all about nothing. It's just red dirt everywhere. And they have one shot that doubles as the pub. It's really, really yeah, quite and interesting. And I know that the, 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 mining, the mining town as a, as a bad investment idea is cliched, but it is, it is a very good example of, of why you don't follow one single piece of infrastructure, no matter, no matter how. But any um, version of that works. Yeah, like any, the any one version abattoir. Of that. Yeah, yeah, if it's the, yeah, if it's a one cannery or, or, or I remember I got sent a brochure years ago from a client who was looking at investing in this off the plan kind of new house and land package thing. Sold it to me like it was the next thing since sliced bread when they told me about it. They got sent from another firm. They were so excited. They were putting in a new Ferrero Rocher factory in the suburbs. So it was going to be the next biggest, most amazing. The brochure looked awesome, and I got down, 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 down to the bottom to see where it was located. It was in a suburb called, or not even in, near Narendra, which is in the Riverina down southern New South Wales with a population of, look, my best guess would be thousands, like under 5,000. Um, mm -hmm. The part of the town was actually out of Narendra, so it was in the back of nowhere, very small population. No offence to Narendra. My husband's family all come from that area. They're from Colliambly, beautiful area. Not the best investment thing to get into, mm. though, a house and land package in a very regional location with very limited population, job creation, and infrastructure. It's a farming industry. It's it's cropping town. And I yeah. just thought this is this is the this is another version of a mining town. Absolutely another version yeah. of it. Just because it doesn't have mining on it doesn't mean it's yeah. not a version of that. Yeah, but it might well, as well be emu eggs or whatever. Yeah, you don't yeah, you don't chase um a single piece of infrastructure yeah only if you're you know the smart money doing that is the uh, if you you're buying a site to develop to to, to on sell to those suckers because otherwise you've got to be in and out in those yeah. those areas you don't want to be buying and holding uh, which you know, a lot of people buy property to invest as a long-term hold if you're buying to develop to sell it to, to others then by all means um, but you want to be in and out of that early otherwise you're going to be sitting on three stranded assets instead of one <laughs> so while we're unpacking infrastructure, talk to me about the Olympic Games in Queensland. What impact do we think this is going to have? Are they going to build a lot? Like I've heard they're going to be putting in the um, the Olympic Village, the the players um, and the teams village down and around that southeast Queensland sector. I think near Rabina is where they're kind of sort of a Logan-ish sort of area down around there is where they're earmarking that for. So what have we learnt in the past? How did the Sydney Olympic Village go? Have we taken any lessons away from this? Have we... Are we thinking there's going to be a lot of other infrastructure? What's this going to do in the market? Um, well, it's going to bring a lot of supply. So if you're building a, an Olympic village, so the, uh, recall from uh, the Sydney Olympics, we uh, redeveloped all the Homebush Bay precinct and um, the, the uh, athletes were accommodated in the suburb that is now known as Newington. And um, they built a whole lot of environmentally sustainable and, and you know, you know, contemporary style housing that uh, there are a lot. It's, it's interesting. I, I went out there because people were buying them um, very eagerly uh, leading up to the Olympics. Um, and then they were getting reconfigured. So they went from sort of eight to 10 bedroom houses and they pulled out all these little walls. They must have been living in, in absolute squats when the poor um, athletes were living in them. And then they became three and four bedroom houses. Um, look, they bring a lot of supply to an area, which is great. They, you know, they'll they will bring in a nice new uh, modern aesthetic because they're all you know, built now and it is a, a showpiece. So they'll try and do a few things like, like they did with Newington. They made that um, uh, at the, the highest environmental standards. They all had solar hot water and solar panels, which were you know, curiously at the time they were building solar panels in, in Homebush. But, um, but 
At the same time, they developed the, the Homebush Bay Precinct and that's now been renamed as Wentworth Point. Um, and that was more higher density um, apartment living. Uh, so those markets, they performed reasonably in line with the rest of Sydney at the time. Um, One of the things I do remember off the back coming of into that. the GFC, the, the all the apartment market around Homebush Bay was devastated. Um, uh, is, um, without exaggeration, twenty percent declines in value in that market. Not so much in Newington because they were more attached and semi-detached houses and some and detached housing, but the uh, the high density stuff in that area because it had all the, all the promise. Uh, they did get a train station in there, but there's, there were no facilities for, for decades afterwards. I know. And one of the things I remember um, was some of the design issues they faced. Like they were building some of those units that we, like um, they did for the Commonwealth Games too. They built a lot of stock that was really just for the, for the, for the, for the Olympic um, village, you know, the, the, um, they're not contestants. It's not a game show. Um, the athletes, that's the word I'm looking for. Competitors. There's elite athletes that train their whole life. Yeah, they're not game show contestants, Anna. No, no, no. The elite athletes. Yeah, don't, let's, not, let's not play that one down. I'll get, I'll get shot. Um, these Olympic athletes. But they're building these units with like, you know, um, bed sit style, a lot of them bed sit style accommodation mm. with just a microwave in there. They didn't have full kitchen facilities. They didn't have separate living areas. They weren't really designed for on sale after the Com Games or on sale after the Olympic Games in some of the earlier designs. Earlier well, yeah, so that's design. that's why Newington did so well because it, it, they had that very compact living, but then they stripped it out and returned it and then created it into more conventional housing styles because that, that's what people that need, the market like, would support because yeah. it's good yeah and that's the thing it's got to be it's got to be a product product that has broad market appeal yeah and um, devil will be in the detail a little bit there we don't know that detail yeah, yet, yeah. and so like like anything you don't just dive in because you, you you see something yes the 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 market and the general economy would be expected to 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 have some some uplift but you've also got to look at every other location that's held olympic games around the world they all seem to have um we, we did fluke it with um with sydney and that we didn't go into a massive recession afterwards and um have all of these white elephant infrastructure that you know that that did really afflict a lot of a lot of other hosts of of olympic games you know at, atlanta and um uh um beijing and um athens they, they all had uh, some, you know, they, they weren't fully thought out other than the glory of the, the two weeks of hosting the games. It is, it's a, it's a single um, but To be fair, um, you know, Rabina's a, Rabina's a nicely developed area and it's got, um, you've got the university there already. Um, it's got the train line that takes you uh, into Brisbane. Uh, it's you know, reasonable proximity to the, the, the lower Gold Coast. So it's a good, um, it is a good location at the moment. And I, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to have a property in, in Rabina at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't say don't buy something there, but I wouldn't rush in and pay, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't be overly excited and think you can do no wrong and think that whatever growth is going to perpetuate, um, it's still got to be a market that stands on its own after the two weeks of and the game. And then what, 10 years away? So you still yeah, want to yeah, have this sustainability between now and then with rental returns, infrastructure, yeah. jobs, et cetera, et cetera. 
So just to wrap up, and I think we've done a really great piece of infrastructure here because we, we talk about this so much in, in our team and in the group and, you know, you're always researching and talking to clients and investors about it and it has a big impact. Um, if someone's thinking about going, okay, well, I want to invest outside my backyard. I want to go find some of these infrastructure plays um, and I want to, you know, in the right way, not just that one-off thing and maybe Brisbane, Queensland areas are attractive to them. Um, you can't. You, you, you can't inspect properties very easily if you're interstate at the moment with border closures. And let's be honest, even when the borders aren't closed, who, who's got time to spend their weekends flying backwards and forwards unless you do it professionally like our team? Um, what, how, what do you say to the people that are out there, the investors that know they want to go further afield, but they're, they're nervous about not seeing the property themselves. They're nervous about not physically inspecting or, they, or they're engaging someone to do it. Are, are all firms equal here? Are all property investment or buyers agents firms doing inspections? Are they doing it with the same quality and the same fine tooth comb? Walk me through that. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, Anna, but um, I'd say not all property investment firms are equal. That'd be the first, um, the first response. Um, uh, is everyone inspecting properties? No. And if anyone's telling you otherwise, they, they are straight out lying. They've only just opened um, parts of Melbourne and Geelong to uh, inspecting property just now. So if you've purchased something three weeks ago in Melbourne um, and someone's told you that they have physically inspected that property for you, they are outright lying or they have been breaking the law. Or um, their valuers and have exemptions like we do just quietly. Yes, There's some yes. exemptions available um, to valuers. So just, you, just clarify so, that for yeah, us, but we're not clients yeah, out yeah, there. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but if you're... Um, yeah, so I'm a, well, I'm a property honest, most valuer. Most buyers so agents I'll, aren't valuers and don't yeah, have yeah, those yeah. exemptions. So I've got an exemption um, to inspect property. Um, but more to the point, um, are, they, are they actually looking for a property? Are they inspecting or are they just pushing a property that they've already got? That, mm. Whether it's a property that they're, of their own stock that they're selling or they're somehow affiliated with whoever's um, moving that property, are they really going through the motion of, of due diligence, of actually rejecting property, um, of, of not being afraid to pass and pass and pass and go week after week with without a result um, because you are actually looking for the one that's going to perform. Um, there's, there's lots of incentives that can be had to, to introduce someone to a property that may not be in the client's best interest, but will be of interest to a lot of other people along the process. Yeah. Um, we're sure that's gonna facilitate a transaction and you know, get a client an investment property and may help them with their, with their negative gearing on their tax or something, but it's probably not gonna move them any closer to their, their goals of an early retirement or setting their kids up. The difference between say you inspecting a Sorry, property or I'm just bringing, someone's to... already excited to talk to you about the infrastructure. No, no, someone's, someone's <laughs> at the door. Ah, no worries. We we can probably edit this bit out, or we can just sit here and have a oh, chat. Come on. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all very unpredictable in lockdown. Uh, what happens? The kids come in. My daughter started singing a song just before, so I had to shut the door. That was interesting. Um, lockdown life and work and family. It all just you know, is interesting. On, on your, Anna, on your bingo, did you have X going to pick up the kids though? <laughs> um, so just quickly, if I'm that first time nervous investor and I'm thinking about getting a firm to work with me and I can't inspect the property. So I'm, I'm Barry, I'm Barry at the barbecue and, and Barry's just really not sure that you'll see what he sees. He wants to see the condition, what the property looks like, feel it, touch it, smell it. Um, what would you say to Barry? What are you going to see at an inspection that he might not? Or, or should Barry be seeing it himself? Like, 
Um, I is okay. It should be inspected, absolutely. But it needs to be inspected by someone that has a very critical eye for property. So now, not the selling agent. They're not going to pick up the defects. They're just going to kind of gloss oh, over that stuff. Conflict of interest. They'll, they'll have a the opposite, the, the rose-coloured glass, of course. Yeah, and, and that is their job. Don't take the video remember, or the photos from them. <laughs> remember that they are being paid by the vendor and they have yeah. a duty to the vendor to maximise the sale price they and minimise any objections to someone paying that. Um, there are certain responsibilities, but they... Um, but the, uh, the things that are an opinion of, I think this is a good floor plan versus a, an unmanageable, unfunctional floor yeah, plan, yeah. they're going to have an opinion on that that's aligned to the vendor's outcome and yeah. they're allowed to. It's Absolutely. And, and that they is, can't hide yeah. a whopping big crack. I mean, you have, to un, you have to understand that is their job and their responsibility and, and that, that is what they should be doing. Yeah. Um, not, not in a deceitful way, but they should be selling the, the finer points. Promoting and the better really, parts of the yeah, property absolutely. and glossing over and the not so fabulous bits. So first of all, Barry's up against that. Um, now, I, you know, Barry might be a, a seasoned property buyer. He, he, he or she might have purchased three or four or five properties in their lifetime, which is not an insignificant amount of properties. And they may have looked at 20 or, or 30 properties each time they, they went and did that. And that's, you know, if they were looking at three properties a week, that's that's 10 weeks of looking to find a property. And that's looking at a hundred, that's inspecting 150 properties in your career of buying those, that portfolio of five, or, you know, in and out of five properties. Um, I'm a property valuer. I've been a property valuer for 22 years. I've personally inspected well in excess of 10,000 properties. Um, and there are people that have been doing it a lot longer than me. Uh, I won't say, as I said at the outset, I haven't seen everything, but I have seen a lot. Um, and one of the, uh, as, as a property valuer, you do have to take a very critical eye because the, to a property because there are, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people that are relying on, on what you document in that report, whether it be for litigation purposes or mortgage purposes, or even just for administrative reasons like, like tax or, or um, duties payable. There's, there's people that rely on that report and they rely on the value to give an absolutely impartial um, description of that property. So uh, I've, through years of experience and tens of you know, and thousands and thousands of, of property inspections, you tend to have, um, you know, be able to see lot, lots when you walk into a property. I've often held myself back as I walk into a friend's place for the first time because I feel like I'm casing the joint because I do walk in mm. and I look from top to bottom and, and everything and I just note everything and it's it, you know, it's just an automatic re response to go oh it's got recessed down lights and a split system air conditioning and you know, the carpet looks reasonably well worn but it should be okay for some time. Mm. So um, it's about you, you you know it's about that professional eye where you'll see yeah. things that Barry won't so Barry might go in and go it looks pretty but Barry not, might not pick up some of the things around certain um, uh, items might be getting yeah. towards the end of life. The retaining wall might require attention, which can be very yeah, well, expensive. That yeah, the pool's going to cost kitchen, money. The, the, the floor might be a great not going to be with lots of storage. But if it's if it's located in the middle of the house, it's not going to have any natural light. And and so a room that you do spend a lot of lighting and you spend a lot of a lot of time in and, you, and, and active time when you when you're doing things. Um, if it's if it's stuck in the middle of the house because the house has been extended out the back but the kitchen was retained in the middle then it's it, it's just a really poor location for it you won't notice that until you start using it in winter and you think gee it's a bit grim in here um 
I remember years so, ago when we had only one client's ever done this to us where he he engaged our services, got the strategy locations where we want to invest, then went out and did it himself two, two, three weeks later. Most clients, once they're working with us, they're working with us for a reason, but he decided to just to kind of grab the info and go a couple of weeks later and buy a property. It was in Geelong, actually. And I'll never forget it. He he tried to kind of make it seem like it was our fault. We'd only been searching for about three weeks and we're sitting over everything we're looking at every week and said, look, we don't like any of them to go to offer on yet. Um, yep. And he he rang me one day and said oh, I bought something so you don't need to keep looking I said oh okay what'd you buy that's interesting and he he said oh, I bought this property you guys didn't even didn't even look at for me you didn't send it over so you know you've just not really done what I asked you know you should have sent me this you're hiding this property from me I went mm, no we're not we're not hiding anything from you send me what you've bought I'm curious anyway he sent it over and um we went back and said well we actually have already inspected this property we just haven't got you the info yet because we only inspected it you know two days ago but we rejected it we would have the email that we're going to send you would have said we're not buying it for and there was a long list of reasons yards too small not functional you have trouble tenanting it the floor plan's not functional the natural light's poor you'll have you know you'll get a reduced rent from what the agent said it's overpriced for this reason the actual street that location isn't ideal for various reasons there's some you know undesirable properties a bit over the back fence and blah blah all these reasons huge big long list so we actually rejected that property but you know that's cute that you bought it good on you um he said well, i'm not paying your fee because you know you you made me do it myself i said well that's also cute but whatever but at the end of the day he didn't know what he was actually looking for because he doesn't know what's accepted in that market he doesn't he didn't know yeah. what the tenants wanted what was selling at what price point and paid way too much for the property and we don't see that very often, thankfully, but that was just the difference. And exactly what we said would happen, had heaps of trouble renting. It was on the rental market for ages because it wasn't a desirable property and it had been overquoted with rent anyway. So really interesting when you see the differential between what some people see who aren't trained in that compared yeah. to what we see. So perfect yeah. example. Anything else you want to throw in before we, um, before we wrap this one up? I think we've covered a lot of ground, which has been amazing. No, no trouble. Uh, nothing. Well, we could talk for days, but I think that's that's covered what we needed to talk about. This How do time. we get in touch with you if we need to talk about investing, Gareth, or need evaluation done? You've got both arms to your to your um, your skill set. Which where do people get in touch? What's the best number or website? How do you like people to reach well, out? Uh, you can reach out to me. Um, you can you can call anyone can call me directly on my phone. Um, I can give it out now number? if you like. Yeah, yeah. Zero four one zero five one two three two zero, or you can catch me on the through the Suburbanite website or my own uh, Augman Consulting a u g m e n dot com dot au. Excellent, excellent. So we uh, we really appreciate you joining us, and um, we'll uh, call that a wrap. Another another great episode of the Property Experience. Thanks for coming along, Gareth. Thank you, Anna. Anytime.